Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. We've been talking about the extreme goodness of God and how God's plan for our life is good. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I would have lost heart or I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's look at some of the notes. We've gone over this before. For those of you new here at Faith, you can find our notes in the Faith Plus app or in the YouVersion Bible app in the events section. We said this word goodness, because of course Psalm 27 is written in Hebrew originally. This word goodness means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. This word wait means to eagerly expect and look for. This word wait means to eagerly expect and look for. So waiting on the Lord does not mean you sit down and do nothing. Waiting is not passive. Waiting is not an action. Waiting is actually a position of expectation and obedience. Waiting means you're doing what God has told you to do. You know, that I've heard that phrase before, while I wait on God to open the door, I'll dance in the hallway. So that means in the time where you're waiting for the breakthrough, you're waiting for things to turn, you are obedient to the plan of God for your life. You follow the plan. You walk his path. You stay faithful at your post. Waited on God does not mean don't do anything. It means you're supposed to do everything God has told you to do up to that point, and you keep doing it. Because sometimes when we talk about a path, you know, when you walk down a path, that is a series of steps. And although we can walk around a path outside, and we could, our steps are pretty quick, but sometimes when it comes to the plan of God and walking the path for your life, sometimes one step can take weeks, months, years. So what do you do as you walk down a path and the step you're on seems like it's taking forever? Stay faithful with that step. You stay following the plan. You stay on the path. You keep doing what God has called you to do. You stay faithful at your post because the faithful shall flourish. Say, the faithful shall flourish. Going back to the example of seed time and harvest. When you sow a seed, how many know you can't uproot the seed. If you want it to grow, you got to keep it in the ground. So recently I sowed some wildflowers that are going to appear in mid-June. I know my girls are going to love. But the thing is, it said on the packet, 42 days. It said it's going to take 42 days for you to see the results. And so my seven-year-old was with me while I was planting, and she had broken it down. I said, well, in six weeks, I'll be able to see the flowers. She's on a countdown in expectation for these wildflowers to pop up to attract butterflies and hummingbirds and all the other stuff. So she's in expectation looking for it. But you know what we didn't do on day one? Right after we planted, we didn't dig it up. We didn't dig it up on day two. We didn't dig it up on day three. Why? We're expecting something to show up in June, so while we wait on it, we water. If I dig it up, I'm not waiting on it. I'm impatient. So many times we self-sabotage because we refuse to be patient. Hebrews says faith and patience inherits the promise. That word patient is cheerful endurance. Not just endurance, cheerful endurance. So many people go around, oh, I'm waiting on God, but your face looks like God's been bad to you. You say God is good, but people looking at your face don't believe it. Oh, I'm going through, baby. You always going through. It's time for you to get out on the other side. There should be some joy on the inside of you because that joy is a sustaining force. Remember, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, when you look at Psalm 90, I'm not going there today, but Psalm 90 is actually a psalm of judgment. 
Now, a lot of people quote that psalm thinking, oh, we have 70 to 80 years to live. And you stand on a psalm of judgment. How many ever people say, well, we got 70, 80, that's all God has promised? Have anybody ever heard say that or even preach that? That's actually a psalm of judgment to the people in the wilderness who refused to listen to God, who refused to obey God, and God said, fine, you can have it your way. You said you're going to die in the wilderness? Fine, you can die in the wilderness. And he said, for you, you'll have 70 years. Or if some reason you're strong, you'll get to 80. It was a psalm of judgment. That is not a promise. That is judgment. Some of you are like, I'm believing to hit 80. That is judgment. How long should you live? It says, live till you get satisfied. We even see how it promises 120 years. Don't quit at 70, 80. Don't stop. No, that's early. You young. But if you keep saying, oh, I'm almost 70, so I'm getting old, guess what? You can get old. Oh, I'm almost 70, so you know my eyes are going to start going. Guess what? Your eyes are going to start to go. Oh, almost 70, so my knees are about to, uh, that's what's going to happen. Some of you are so expecting for your body to break down because you're getting older, you're, feel, you're 30 and you feel like you're 90 because of your mouth. Oh, I hit 30, my bones need to stop popping. Why are you saying those type of things? We're supposed to live long, live strong. Do you know when, it come, when if Jesus tarries and it comes time for you to die, you don't have to die of a sickness? You don't have to die of a disease? You can just choose to go. You can just choose to announce to your family, I'm going ahead of time, so I need you all to gather around. I'm going to prophesy over each one of you, bless each one of you, and I'm throwing up the deuces. I'm going to heaven. I'm telling you, you do not have to die from a disease or from a sickness or from a pandemic. You can choose your exit. Because it says in 1 Peter, if you live a certain way, it says in 2 Peter, if you live a certain way, that not only will your exit be good, your entrance into the kingdom of God will be abundant. Come on, you want to live in a certain way where heaven is preparing for your arrival. Everyone's arrival is not the same when you cross over to the other side. You want to live such a life here on earth when you cross those pearly gates, there's a celebration. We've been waiting on you. This is life. It's more than what we've given it credit for. So don't stand on Psalm 90 saying that, oh, I got 70, 80 years. No, that is judgment. Stay for a long life. Now, the key about that passage I want to tell you about this is by strength. By reason of strength, you'll go from one decade to the next. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so the thing is, if you're going to stay on this planet for a long time, you're going to need some strength to go from one decade to the next. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. So you got to keep some joy on the inside if you want to go from one decade to the next, one decade to the next. So you'll be like that person you heard Minister David exhort about earlier who they say they start their day giving God glory. They start their day because they know God has kept them. Sometimes we forget about the keeping power of God. Yes, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, but he's all up there in the middle. All in that crazy middle, he's been keeping us. He has rescued us from danger seen and unseen. Some of you just shout because you know what he delivered you from, but you've missed some of the stuff in the background that you didn't see coming that Jesus said, nope, block, nope, block, nope, block, nope, block. Satan tried it, but God caused it to fail. There is more reason for you to rejoice than you know about because God has been doing things for you every single day of your life, even when you are a heathen, even when you are far from God, even when you were in sin, God kept you, God protects you, God rescues you, God delivers you time and time and time again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. For he is good. He is good to all. His plan is good. His path is good. And he has good things in store for your life. You keep this joy on the inside because it keeps you going. It's this joy that's connected to hope. And the hope we have, we're talking about faith in the morning this week. The hope we have doesn't disappoint us. Because it's not just some fleeting dream. It's a hope that's been built from knowing that God fixed it in the past. He'll do it again. 
It's a hope that's connected to Christian character. It's a hope that's connected to experience. The experience of the faithfulness of God. See, we're not those who pass on experience. We call it experience, but it's really bitterness. Well, don't get your hopes too high. Who is you? Get your hope as high as you can. Because he is the God of hope who fills us with all joy and hope in believing through the power of the Holy Ghost. Yes, we are faith people, but we also must be hope people. If we really want what we believe for to show up in our lives, we have to be people of hope, people of positive expectation, people who dream big and set goals. Why? Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith gives your hope substance. Faith gives your hope substance. Hope is the blueprint, faith is the materials. Faith is the title deed of things you cannot see. It lets you know it belongs to you. Well, if faith is the title deed, what does it mean? The word of God is the title deed. So as long as you have the title deed, you know what belongs to you. But when's the last time you opened it up to see what belongs to you? Because too many of us turn to the news and social media to see what belongs to us. Well, this is going around in the world, so that belongs to me. No, it doesn't. Just because it's going on in the world does not mean it belongs to me. Oh, well, this generation is going to suffer with that. No, 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 no. Just because the rest of my generation does doesn't mean I will. What are you claiming that has nothing to do with you? So many of you are claiming things in the world that is the result of judgment. When you're not in the world, not in that way, or as Jesus said, you're not of the world, you're just here. You're an ambassador. You know when the United States sends ambassadors to other regions and other places, they don't rely on that country to provide for them. The country that sent them foots the bill and takes care of them. You are ambassadors of heaven. You are new creations in Christ Jesus. Stop claiming what's going on in the world and claim what belongs to you in the book. For all the promises of God are yes and amen. Doesn't matter the economy, it's yes and amen. Doesn't matter the sickness in the world, it's yes and amen. It doesn't matter the struggle in the world, it's yes and amen. Stop glorifying your struggle and glorify your God. You are here for a reason. You are called for such a time as this. That means you're anointed for this. You are anointed for this time. You're called to it, and you're anointed for it. And if you're anointed for it, that means you can handle it. We are not those who run away. We are not those who shrink back because it gets hard. We are faith people. We are hope people. We are overcomers. We are the anointed. And today's message is called, You Are Anointed for This. Say, I'm anointed for this. Come on, say, I'm anointed for this. Go to Acts 10.38. Acts chapter 10. You are anointed for this. It is the anointing that makes the difference. It is the anointing that's the power of God. It is the anointing that's the divine ability to produce results. The anointing is not just for the pulpit. The anointing is for every single believer who names the name of Jesus. You can't call yourself a Christian and not be anointed. Did you know that even the scripture says that God anoints the heathen? And he has to anoint them because his people won't do the job. Acts 10, 36. Notice what Peter says as he's preaching in the house of Cornelius. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So Peter is in the house of Cornelius. In Caesarea, he's not next to where Jesus' ministry was. But the effects and the publication of Jesus' ministry went through the whole region. So he's addressing this room of Cornelius, his family, his soldiers. It is a Gentile crowd. This is not filled with Jews. This is filled with Gentiles. Cornelius is an Italian. He's gathered around his family friends. They believe in God. And they heard about Jesus. And Peter says, you know what happened 
It wasn't a secret. Everybody heard about it. Here's what they heard. How God anointed, say anointed. Come on, say it out and put it in the chat. Say anointed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Say power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Let's talk about this word anoint first. This word anoint means through the idea of contact to smear or rub with oil. Through the idea of contact, it means to smear or rub with oil. It is to consecrate to an office or religious service. If you are anointed, that means you had contact with the one who anointed you. So if you go around saying you're anointed, that means you have had contact with God. You've been encountered by God. You've had an experience with God. Let's talk about this phrase, doing good. This phrase, doing good, this is a philanthropic term, which means to do good or bestow benefits. To be philanthropic means that you are seeking to promote the welfare of others, especially by donating money to good causes. It means to be generous and benevolent. So this scripture says Jesus, by the anointing, was, a, was philanthropic. Now, when we think about people who are philanthropists, we think about people who give a lot of money, right? That's what Jesus did. So let's know Jesus wasn't broke. Well, the Bible says no, the Bible does not say he was broke. Well, it said he became poor. The question is when? Because if you say that he became poor, the rest of that scripture so that you might be rich. So the question is, when did he become poor? Because not too long after he was born, there were some rich dudes from the east trying to find him and give him stuff. We call them magi. Oh, there are three. The Bible doesn't say there are three. We know it's plural, so there's at least two. And those dudes didn't show up, which is them. They showed up with an army to protect their stuff. You read the scripture in Matthew 2, it says all of Jerusalem was moved when they showed up. A city doesn't move if two people walk in. But if two people with a whole bunch of stuff laid down a camel surrounded by an army show up, the city will be moved. Because it wasn't just these rich guys, they were called kingmakers back in the day. And they traveled with an army and they could depose foreign kings. This army was so powerful, when they showed up in Rome during that period of time, Nero even behaved himself. And the reason why Herod was so nervous is because that same empire the Magi was from ran him out of his seat a few decades before. So if you're going to say Jesus was broke, then what about what the Magi gave? Because what they gave was more than enough for Jesus, Joseph, and Mary to travel throughout Egypt constantly on the run for Herod for years without Joseph needing to work. And we think it's expensive to travel now. It was really expensive to travel back then. And then when they finally got back and they settled in Nazareth, Jesus was there, but Joseph had a job. He was a carpenter, right? Now, a carpenter, we think, okay, cool. Look, he, Jesus made some tables, some desks, a bed. That's not what that word meant. This is an artisan. This is an architect. There was a city up the road, about an hour walk up the road, and it's where Jesus drew a lot of, a lot of the parables when he studied Jesus came from his time of growing up as a child. Because he talks about the city that at night it would light up. That's where you hear the phraseology, the city on the hill. But as Jesus would walk past the city, because the city was destroyed because of a war that happened previously, and so they needed architects and high-skilled craftsmen to rebuild it. And Joseph was one of them. And Joseph trained Jesus on how to do the same thing. So when we talk about Jesus being the architect of our lives, there's some language behind it. He knows the plan. He knows how to build you right. And so as Jesus would walk up there, he had a business. So when Jesus came back to preach in Nazareth, they said, isn't this the carpenter? They knew his family, but they also knew his business. Not to say a carpenter, it says the carpenter. Didn't he build our house? And some people say, well, Jesus was homeless. Why would a person who could build houses be homeless? If he's building up the street, why would he not build himself a house? Doesn't make sense. When he moved to Capernaum, the house he lived in was by the water. He had a seashore property. <laughs> and so Jesus was known for his business, was known for his generosity. 
Another way by it, when you study the Gospel of John, it says Judas was a treasurer. And he stole from Jesus' treasury all the time. John wrote it. Now you know if you only got two pennies and someone steals one, it's obvious the bank account has gone down. He had enough that the rest of the disciples couldn't catch. Now, you know Matthew was watching everything. The tax collector, he was watching all the money. Well, he couldn't catch it. Jesus was known for doing good to the point when Judas left during the Last Supper, they all thought Jesus sent him to give to the poor. You only think about that as if that's what he did on a regular basis. You don't think, oh, randomly, oh, it must have been good. No, this is what Jesus did on a regular basis. And it's hard to give to the poor when you are the poor. Jesus was a philanthropist. But notice how he did it. Yes, he had the business skill. Yes, he had the business background. But he also did it by the anointing. He ran around doing good, being philanthropic, and doing good, bestowing goods and benefits by the anointing. Say, by the anointing. So when you look at some of the miracles that Jesus did, some of them were just nice. His first miracle was just nice. He manifested his glory at a wedding so that the host wouldn't be embarrassed. He was nice. Come on, we can start revival just by being nice. <laughs> just be nice to people. When you look at some of his miracles in different ways, he was just nice. And a philanthropist seeks, I love that definition, says he's seeking an area to do good in. Jesus was seeking for heirs to good. Yes, people went to found Jesus, but there are people Jesus went to go find himself. Just being nice. Think about Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick of a fever, was in a really bad state. Jesus walks in, rebukes the fever. Just being nice. She gets up completely healed and made well. Think about the time when he paid for Peter's temple tax. Because Peter just put his, you know, Peter always talking. Sometimes it works out, sometimes not so much. And they says, well, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, this wasn't the normal tax. This wasn't required by the law. This wasn't required by the Roman Empire. It was some extra they had to say, extra. And Peter says, of course he does. And so Peter's about to walk back into the house, Jesus' house, and Jesus stops him. So, bro, bro, before he come in, he begins to teach him, says, do the princes pay taxes to their parents? Like, no, so why should I pay this tax? Well, so that you don't offend them. Go fishing. The first fish you catch, say first, first, will have a gold coin in his mouth and will pay my tax and yours. But it's his first. That means he could have kept fishing and got as many fish as he wanted. Jesus was just being nice. By the anointing. Say so you're anointed for this. As it says in Isaiah 10, 27, the anointing removes a burden and destroys the yoke. Because it says Jesus, when he was anointed, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I think we'll get into this phrase a little bit more this summer. This word oppressed means to exercise harsh control over one, to use one's power against one. So Jesus went around with the power of God healing, delivering people from sickness, but also delivering people who were under the control of darkness. And the darkness was exercising harsh control over them. He set people free from the enemy who was trying to exercise his power over them. He did it by the anointing. And that's what everyone heard in the area. Jesus is anointed. That's what they heard. That's even what Jesus preached. We'll look at it in a moment. They all heard how Jesus is anointed. That's why they called him Christ. Christ does not, is not his last name. His name more likely was Yeshua Bar Yosef. Why did they call him the Christ? Because he's anointed. Others call him Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he grew up. He was anointed. They talked about his anointing. We call him Messiah, which means the anointed one. Now let's go to Matthew 3. Let's look at when Jesus was anointed. Because what you should understand is Jesus didn't do any miracles until after he was anointed. He did it. This whole time, he was the son of God. 
But Jesus, although he was always the son of God, did not operate in ministry and life as the son of God. He was 100% God, 100% man, the hypostatic union. He walked with God. He was God, but he was also 100% man. You do not have to anoint God. You have to anoint humanity. Jesus operated in this earth, although he was God, as a man anointed by God. That's why he didn't do any miracles until after he was anointed. Before then, he just had a great relationship with God. He kept all the requirements of the law. He lived righteously, and he ran his business. And so now we get to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Notice John the Baptist is preaching. Because at this point, after this story, you're going to find there are two tremendously anointed people on this planet at this point in the same area. Jesus and John. And they just happen to be cousins. Now, you know how anointed John was? Jesus preached about how anointed John was. He said he's more anointed than everybody in the old covenant. They called him Elijah. Now, that's a high compliment, but it's also truth. So these, John is preaching, and you see what John is looking for. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but there's somebody coming after me who's mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John preached a lot of things. He preached repentance. He preached the, he made the way for Jesus to come, but he's also preaching there's coming a day when the Messiah is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. This is what John is preaching a little bit over three years before it actually happens. This is what John is looking for. So when you read out the other Gospels of this, uh, this translation, it's saying that the Father told John, the one you see the Spirit land on and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what John wanted. He wanted the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because we know we treat the baptism of the Holy Ghost great. I'm baptized. I can speak in a tongue. No, no, no. Look how much John wanted it. As the most anointed person under the old covenant, he was looking for something greater. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because you think about Elijah and Elisha, those boys were bad. You think about David. You think about Samson. You think about all the people who did wonderful things under an old covenant. And they were anointed. You say, ooh, if that anointing could show up today. John, the most anointed one of the old covenant, said, I can tell you what I'm looking for. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. And so it comes when Jesus, it says, verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. Now, John is not talking about Jesus. I need you to dunk me in this water. Jesus, I need you to dunk me in this Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, just let it happen right now. We must fulfill all righteousness, meaning we must do what God wants us to do. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So imagine, most people didn't expect to hear a voice from heaven that day. People are coming out to hear John preach. Some people are coming out to be baptized. Oh, look, John baptizes his cousin. But as soon as he does, the heavens opens. The Holy Spirit lands on Jesus like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven. So imagine this voice, because we're making it very spiritual, and it was a very spiritual, thunderous moment. But imagine going to one of your kids' baseball games or basketball games or football games, and you're that parent cheering from the stands, cheering them. That's my baby. Come on, keep on, come on, defense, come on. Before Jesus did any miracle, before he did anything what we consider a great work, God is cheering him on from heaven. That's my son. I'm pleased with him. That's my son. I'm well pleased with him. Because you know how your kids act when you yell out like that? You know, they have that look on their face, come on, like stop it, but they really want you to keep going. <laughs> Imagine Jesus hearing his father from the grandstands of heaven yelling, that's my son. 
I'm pleased with him. Before he did any miracle, before he did any great work, God says, I'm pleased with him. But also notice what he did. He spoke his identity. That's the first one, identity. You're my son. Because it's hard to operate in the anointing when you don't know who you are. Because God will not anoint your mask. I'm going to say it again. Y'all can tweet that and put it in the chat. God will not anoint your mask. See, Jesus talked about mask wearers. He called them hypocrites. Now, we've made that word really deep and really religious, but it wasn't. See, when Jesus was walking with Joseph along the path up to the city where they would work, there were actors who would stand on the side of the road. They had their own stage. They were set up. They had put masks on. Everybody knew they were actors. They weren't fooling about it. Everybody knew they are actors, and they're playing a part in a play. Everybody knew that. And so when Jesus talked about hypocrites, he's like, you're acting. You're not fooling anyone. I think it was Joyce Meyer who said this way, you're never more anointed than when you're being yourself. Yes, follow the word, do what God says. But don't pretend to be someone you're not. And most people pretend because they're trying to copy somebody else. Well, that person looks spiritual, so I'm gonna act like them. No, 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 be you. You be spiritual, but be you. Don't try to speak the King James. If you can't even pronounce those words, stop. Just stop. You don't speak in thus and thou's all the time, stop. Be you. Be the anointed you God's called you to be. I remember when I was writing my book that we released last year and I reached out to my publisher and I said, hey, guys, can I just fully be me? They said, sure, that's what we wanted to do. He said, cool, because I'm gonna write about comic books inside this book. He's like, why? Because that's one of the ways God taught me. And there are people who've actually tuned into our messages because I referenced a Marvel TV show who would have never came into a church. Oh, he's talking about WandaVision? Well, how does that, how? and he listened to a whole message. What? They're parables. And one of the most encouragement I have from that year from just different people I've never met, they said, you just do everything God's called to you and you be you. You just be you. And one of them was encouraged to say, hey, you got some stories and encounters with Jesus for whatever reason you haven't shared them, but it's time for you to start talking about this stuff. What do they encourage me? Be who God has called me to be. And that's what I'm encouraging you. Be who God has called you to be. Oh, I'm weird. Well, we're all kind of weird. <laughs> As I used to tell my kids when I was a youth pastor years ago, I said, normal is overrated. <laughs> Because there's something, some quirk about you, some weirdness about you that God anoints and uses that reaches somebody. Be who God's created you to be. Don't put your mask on. He hasn't anointed your mask. He's anointed you. So if you're going to operate in the anointing, you've got to know who you are. Because you might be able to anoint, operate in some of your anointing wearing your mask, but you won't operate in its fullness wearing your mask. And remember, I said the anointing is not just for the pulpit. It's for whatever industry and place you're called to be. So could it be you're not seeing the results of the anointing in everyday life because you've been put on a mask? Be you. Be the you God has created you to be. And who he's created you to be is never going to contradict his word. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, right after Jesus was anointed, right after God spoke to him from heaven. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Y'all hungry right now. And some of y'all have barely been fasting two hours. Some of y'all got snacks in here going, amen, amen, and you still hungry. This brother's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. <laughs> hungry, not hangry, but you know, that's a work. You know, some of us got to go from hungry to hangry. Anybody else gets hangry? Come on, just testify with me. We, we, we're in there together. <laughs> now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the what? Notice the attack before the temptation. 
identity. Because Satan's been looking, looking for anointed ones. Because he remembers what God said in the garden. That's why he went after Abel. That's why he went after every anointed one since the beginning of time. Because he knew there's an anointed dude that's going to show up, that's going to try to stomp on my head. So when he heard what God said, he showed up. But notice how he came at him because Satan's slick. Before he tempted him, he went after his identity. Do you really know who you are? Y'all say, amen, look at me, yes, but our nation is an identity crisis. This world is an identity crisis. Do you know who you are? How and where do you get your identity from? Is your identity tied to what's in your bank account? Is your identity tied to how many degrees you got or don't got? Is your identity tied to are you married? Is your identity tied to who's you're letting sleep on top of you? Talk to you single people. How are you letting that dude give value and identity to your life when he doesn't even know who he is? Well, I don't know who I am, so let me look at TikTok. Why are you letting TikTok tell you who you are? If you look to the world for validation, it will validate your shortcoming. It will validate the sin and attach you to the sin and call it your truth. We live in a jacked up time when we call sin truth. You are not the sin you struggle with. That is not who you are. You are not an old sinner saved by grace. That's an oxymoron. You're either an old sinner and you need to get saved or you're saved by grace. This whole world is in the midst of identity crisis. And so they ask the question, well, how do you identify? How are you identifying? It's a valid question, but how do you identify? Because Satan comes for your identity. And before Jesus started, God said, you're my son. So the first thing Satan comes at him is, if you're really the son. So what is he doing? He's putting pressure to prove it. Pressure to prove who he really is. How many of you are under pressure right now to prove who you are? Did God tell you to do it? No, then be delivered from the pressure to prove it. Just be the anointed you Jesus called you to be. Well, they said, if I'm called to this, I should do this. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did they call you? Did they anoint you? Did they give you your identity? Nah. Then go back to the manufacturer. Go back to the creator. Get in his book and define yourself the way he defines you. Because you won't be able to operate the anointing at a high level if you're copying and identifying as everything else under the sun. Because you know your identity affects your relationships? Did you know that? Your identity affects your relationships? You know, I heard the story recently this week that a person was saying that, you know, their kid came home and they identified as a bug. They said, Mommy, Dad, I am now a bug. And so the parents looked at them and said, well, we don't feed bugs. <laughs> and we don't allow bugs to live in the house. <laughs> Quickly, the kid realized he's not a bug. The identity was affecting the relationship. Is how you are identifying right now affecting your relationship with God? Because you've been so used to putting on your mask wherever you go. When you go to pray, you got your mask on. You have to learn to be you in the presence of God and be you when you're going throughout the world. Believing that the anointing he puts on you is stronger and better than your mask. Believing that your shield of faith is more effective than the mask you put on. Don't just identify with something just because the world has lost its mind. Because people think, oh, it's bad, it's going to get worse. So you cannot let the world give you its identity. You cannot allow the systems of this world to give you your identity. 
you're going to have to know God for yourself. And no matter what people say about you, because, you know, you can't take your identity from liars. You know that person is lying, so why would you believe them? Why? Stop listening. Block them. Unfollow them. You don't have to listen to that conversation. Stop listening to things that label you against the word. Because if they can label you, they can limit you. Telling you you can't get too far because you're a single mom. Says who? Says who? And because you believe it, now you're just trying to marry anything that walks. Little sis, it's better to be alone than married to the devil. Say, I'm anointed. I'm just trying to help you walk in your anointing. That's what I'm doing. This is like a master class in walking in the anointing. I just need, it just can't be a handful of us who walk in the anointing. It's got to be all of us. And see, the enemy will put pressure on you to prove it. He'll come after your identity, but there's something else that's been stirring in my heart this week. Because some of you say, well, I'm not doing what God's called me to do, like First Lady was telling you to do, because I'm too busy. So you mean, all Satan has to do to stop you from walking in your calling is make you busy? That doesn't take a high principality of power. That takes a little imp to stir up stuff. And so you're never walking the path, following the plan, occupying your boats because you're busy? Well, I'm going to do it when the kids are older. Did Jesus tell you to do that? See, the call of God will never sacrifice your children. So there's a way to fulfill the call and be a good parent to your children at the same time. You have to realize when you stand before God and he asks you, did you do what I called you to do with your life? The excuses you have come up with will not stand. Say, I'm anointed for this. You have to know who you are and you have to be free from the pressure to prove it. You got to get free from the opinion of people. I reached a point a few years ago when I grew out my hair, I was like, I just don't care no more. Y'all saw me dye my hair blonde. I was like, I just do not care. Oh, can an anointed man of God have locks? Bruh, got him. I don't care. I'm free. Be free from the pressure to prove it. Be free from always trying to be like somebody else. Be who God has created you to be. There's only one of you. The tragedy is so many people die a copy. When God has anointed you to be you. He planned you before the world was created. And he liked what he planned. He liked what he imagined. He liked what he created. So be who he created you to be. See, so many people struggle to do this because they believe what everybody else has said. And because they don't have the fulfillment of being who they really are, they try to fill that gap with the alcohol and the drugs and the weed and everything you can shoot in your arm. And all the and people are addicted to people pleasing. Because just maybe, just maybe somebody will say something good about me and it fills the hole that someone didn't fill when I was five. And so now you're, you're living to fill that hole and you're not operating in your anointing. When you have a heavenly father saying, that's my child. I love them. I planned them. I created them. They're here for a purpose. They're here for a reason. I've anointed them. You can't live with the approval of people. Live for an audience of one. The one you'll stand for one day who will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Live for his approval. Live for his applause. Live for his shouts of cheer. That's what you live for. You can't live by what they say in the comment section. Stay out of the comment section. 
That cannot be where you get your identity. Some of you tripping because someone said something bad on your Facebook post and you realize it was a Russian robot. You are offended and all mad because uh, some program from Eastern Europe is telling you all these bad things about yourself. You can't look to the media and social media to define yourself. You have to look at the Word of God. You have to actually have a relationship with God. You have to learn His voice and let Him talk to you. Let Him remind you who you are. Because some of us, when we face pressure and we have to handle stuff, we shrink back, we shrink our identity, and we shrink our vision, and we shrink our dream. Because we ran into a problem, we ran into a challenge, we ran into a wall or a mountain or whatever you want to call it. You ran into something, so you back up and you try to shrink it down into your little red box. Say, well, I can think I can make this happen and I'll be fulfilled in myself. Don't shrink your vision, your identity, or your dream just because you ran into a wall. If that vision came from God, then you keep it big. Well, it's going to take a miracle. Yeah, that's kind of how it's designed. It's going to take a miracle for it to come to pass. You have to keep the vision in front of your eyes. You know, one of the things I made a vision board, and there's some things God put me on there, put, had me put on there to remind myself about what he said. There's stuff on there that's way bigger than me. There's stuff that he's dropping my heart to do that I haven't seen anyone do. But I'm going to do it. Why? I'm anointed for it. You have to have that boldness when God tells you to do something. You're anointed for it. You know you don't make up your anointings? Just like you're not making up your call. You say, well, I can be whoever I want to be. Well, especially in this day and age, you really don't want to tell that to your kids. Because are you trying to raise Christians or heathens? You know, when you grow up, you can be whoever you want to be. No, no, no. When you grow up, you can be whoever God has called you to be. No matter what he's called you to do, where he's called you to go, you can do it because God has created you. Don't tell them they can be whoever they want to be. No. They can be whoever God says. We're raising people who are going to follow God all the days of their life. Come on, you want to raise your kid in such a way that they stay before God all their days. They don't backslide in their 20s and the 30s and halfway through the 30s they run back to the church trying to get the curse off of them and trying to live for Jesus. That's not how you want to raise them. You want to raise them where they stand before God all the days of their life. And so you identify by the plan of God. You don't let Satan trick you out of your identity. You don't fall susceptible to the pressure to prove it. You remember what God said about you. And when you know your identity, it's easier to resist the temptation. Because all this temptation was, atta was attached to the identity attack. I just wonder, I just wonder, just wondering out loud. I'm just gonna wonder out loud with him real quick. How many temptations would fall off and you just remembered who you were? If you just had that Lion King moment. Mufasa in the clouds talking to Simba. Remember who you are. I can't talk like James Earl Jones, but y'all need to remember who you are. Because often attacks are attached to something. Even attacks of sickness and disease. A lot of times they are attached to some type of emotional struggle or some unforgiveness. Like these are, Pastor Michelle calls it this way, stack attacks. Now a lot of times we try to go after the fruit when we should deal with the root. And I just wonder how many of you, if you actually saw yourself the way God saw you, the things that you're struggling with just fall by the wayside. Because if Satan came after Jesus with an identity attack, no, he's going to come after you with the identity attack. And what happens, because Satan's been around for thousands upon thousands and thousands of years, he has the benefit of watching people. And he's learned that if the attack works once time, keep going. Why change tactics? So if it worked on your grandpa, he's going to keep doing it. 
If it worked on your great-grandpa, he's going to keep doing it. If it worked on your great-great-grandmother, he's going to keep doing it until somebody says, uh-uh. Sometimes it's not generational curses. It's just a generational strategy. And you agree with it by the words of your mouth. Well, you know, they had heart disease by 40, so I need to get ready for it. Well, whoa, whoa, why don't you change it? And sometimes it may not even be the devil. It might be what you're eating. Y'all be agreeing with judgment of the words of your mouth and the food of your mouth. <laughs> well, pastor, it tastes good. Yeah, it's still poison, though. And you're trying to believe God for healing, but you keep feeding the problem. Yeah. Talking about the anointing. There we go. The anointing. Well, yeah, let's stay on that topic. Because some of you are eating that way because it's filling the gap of you don't know who you are. You're self-medicating by the food. Or that's not the last thing you have attached to the way you were brought up or your culture and you're, you're afraid that if I let that go, I won't really know who I am. Look, fried chicken shouldn't define you. And Lord, please don't let chitlins define you. Please don't let chitlins define you. Please, Lord, do a great work in their life. Fine, chitterlings. Do not let these outside things or the attacks of the enemy define you. Because if you let it define you, the way you walk in the anointing will be limited. And your impact and your effect will be limited. Identify the way the word says. Oh, pastor, how do you identify? As the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm something the world's never seen before. Why? That's what the Bible says. So that's how I identify. I'm blessed whether I feel it or not. I'm anointed, whether I feel it or not. Why? The Bible says it, so I agree with it. I'm the healed, whether I feel like it or not. I'm the prosperous, whether I feel like it or not. You cannot let your feelings create your identity. Because if you do, you will be unstable all your days. Especially if you're hungry. How many of you go through multiple feelings if you get kind of hangry? But as soon as you eat, you just happier about life. The world has changed. The sun came out. Oh, God is good to me. You already heard Minister Dave the shout about the way his mom cooked the dessert. You're just happier about life. Those feelings cannot be the foundation for your identity. You have to know that whether you feel it or not, whether you're up or down, you are exactly who God said. On your best days and your worst days, you're still who God said you are. Do not fall for the identity attack or the pressure to prove it. And notice how Jesus beat each attack of the devil these three times. Because all of it was attached to the identity attack. He says, it is written. Jesus was able to find the scriptures and stand on them and say, no, I'm not falling for that because this is what the word says. This is what the Word says. This is what the Word says. You know one of the attacks Satan did? He tried to use the Word to attack the Word. That's arrogance. Use the Word to attack the Word? Because Jesus is the Word made flesh? So you have to understand in this day and age, there will be people who aren't walking with God who are trying to use the Word of God to make you sin or to make you agree or partner with sin. You refuse to do it. You actually know what the Word of God says in context. You actually study the Word for yourself. You actually open the Bible for yourself. Because so many people are falling for cons that are not even well-made cons. It's not even like slick. It's just like, just open your Bible. You see, that doesn't work. But one of the things is if you actually live by the truth and walk in the truth and allow the Spirit of truth to talk to you, you'll be free from deception no matter how well packaged it is. 
But if you don't know who you are, you'll be deceived every single time because you'll agree with every slick package lie. Notice what's after Jesus beat this attack. The angels came to minister to him. Remember, you have angels assigned to you. There are angels who are ministering to you right now, and there's at least one angel assigned to each and every one of you. And verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Before, let me back to verse 12 as a close. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed from Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Go to Luke 4, and I think we'll close here. John has been put in prison. Jesus' cousin. Both supernatural miracle babies. John's been put in prison. And eventually, John gets offended. Because John sends the disciples to Jesus and says, Are you the one who we were waiting on, or should we look for another? And people say, Oh, that's a spiritual question. John's just a deep secret truth. No, John's offended. John knew exactly who Jesus was. He talked to them right there at the baptism. And Jesus says, Go and tell John again, meaning we've had this conversation before. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And as the disciples are walking away, he says, Blessed are those who are not offended in me. John was offended because it hadn't worked out the way, God, the way he thought God would work it out. He had been in prison too long. He expected Jesus to show up. He expected things to happen by a certain timetable and didn't happen. He was offended. He said, well, no, John's ministry had to stop because he said, I, I must decrease so he might increase. That doesn't mean his ministry had to stop. The Bible does not say that. You really believe that God wanted the most anointed dude in the Old Testament to die during the ministry of Jesus? Just imagine if John was there on the day of Pentecost. Imagine wherever God would have sent him afterwards. Because you know God would have given John the Baptist the Holy Ghost. He'd been looking for it for years. Imagine where God would have sent him. What type of office he would have stood in. Because his call was to prepare the way of the Lord. Just like a lot of the things the apostles were doing. John didn't have to die early. But offense cost him his head. Are you offended at God today? Because things haven't worked out in your life the way you thought it should? Or things haven't happened as fast as you thought it should? Or this happened and you don't know why it happened. Are you offended at God? Yes, I know you got your good church face on and you, it's not you and it's the people watching on another platform. I know, I get it. But on the inside, are you offended at God today? It cost John his head. There wasn't just supposed to be one anointed person on the planet. Imagine how much work they could have gotten done. Because in the early days, Jesus was baptizing and so was John. And then Jesus was sending out his apostles, and then he sent out the seven. Imagine how much work could have gotten done. Offense can cost you the place God has ordained for you. Not because God takes you out, but because you take yourself out. Have you taken yourself out of the game because you're offended? Some of you still at your post, but you're offended, so you're not as effective. And instead of showing hope, you spread bitterness. I'm running out of time, so I've got to keep going. When Jesus came to Nazareth, it says he went to the synagogue as his custom was. But his custom wasn't going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. His custom was preaching the message he was about to preach. Jesus had different messages he preached at different times. And the earliest message he preached is what you find in Luke 4, 18. He opened to the book of Isaiah and says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the tenant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what was the early message Jesus preached in those early days before he changed the message? Because God told him to? I'm anointed. Everywhere Jesus went, he opened up to the scripture and says, I'm anointed. This is what God has anointed me to do. 
This is why I'm here. This is why I'm called. Can you say with confidence the same thing Jesus did? But what you're anointed to do? Because remember, he just beat the identity attack. And so he goes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And he preaches, this is who I am. I am anointed. This is what I'm anointed to do. You must be able to say that about yourself. I am anointed, and this is what God has anointed me to do. But it'll be hard for you to say that if you don't know who you are. And you don't know what God has called you to do. It's going to be hard for you to say that if you don't follow the plan, walk the path, and stay faithful at your post. You're going to have to say on a regular basis that you're anointed. Because it reminds you. It stirs up the gift on the inside of you. And you're going to have to stir up that gift. So that the days when you don't feel anointed, the anointing works. Oh, there are several days. I stood before you. Don't feel a drop of it. But I know I'm anointed. Because it's not about what I feel. It's not. It's about what he said. And I decide to agree with what he said. Stand to your feet. Revelations 1, 6 calls you kings and priests. Each of those offices under the old covenant was an anointed office. Whatever God has called you to do, he's anointed you to do it. That means you have to come in contact with him. And the last thing I charge you and remind you today as we close, don't rely on yesterday's anointing. Don't rely on last year's anointing. As Psalms 92 says, he will anoint us with fresh oil. You're not supposed to rely on the anointing you had last year. You're supposed to grow in it. You're supposed to walk in more of it. You're supposed to have more of it. But so many of us rely on the anointing we had last year. And it still works. But I'm telling you, there's a freshness available for you today. There's a freshness available these days. These are days that call for a fresh anointing. These are days that call for believers to have everyday contact with God. Because that's what the word anointing implies. It implies that you've had contact with God. That you've encountered God. That you experience God. And it's great to experience Him on Sundays. But you need to experience Him every single day. You need to be in his word every single day. You need to talk to him every single day. You need to pray in the spirit every single day. You need to speak the word every single day. You need to listen for his voice every single day. He's a God who wants to be experienced. And if you get into this habit of staying in contact with him, you'll go to places and the place will shift. Because someone has walked in who knows God who's anointed by God and is walking in a relationship with him where it says, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And because you're in that constant contact, you walk into Starbucks and you're drawing near to him because there's a line. And the presence of God comes into place. And he's like, oh, he's gonna give me a big revelation. No, he might just say, tip big. Be kind. Be generous. By the anointing, be a philanthropist. Smile at somebody. Be nice. And he'll use you to do wonderful things. You know, this week I was singing a song we sing here. And we're singing, it's that part of the line where his goodness was running after us. And as I was singing that, the Lord spoke to my heart, who are you running after? Because we talk about his goodness running after us. God's goodness is in us. And there's some people he's called us to go after. And us going after them is going to be the goodness of God going after them. And when they make that decision for Jesus, they're saved. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They're healed and delivered. They have a testimony because someone pursued them, motivated by the goodness of God. You stay in contact with him, he'll give you assignments. There's some people on my heart I'm going after. Some of them know I'm after them. Some of them do. Some of them don't. I'm telling you, I'm going to get them. 
They belong to the kingdom of God, whether they know it or not. I treat them as a potential child of God. They may not be a child of God yet, but the day is coming. The days we're walking into or days where prodigal sons and daughters are going to come in. It's a day where people who are far from God are going to come to know God and walk with God. But in order to do these wonderful things, it's going to take a group of people who know who they are and know how to walk in the anointing of God. And not just on Sundays, but every day. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.